Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Insights and Communications Executive for AMBA and BGA. I was lucky enough to speak to Dan White, who's used his 30 years of experience in brand development and marketing to write a book called The Smart Marketing Book, The Definitive Guide to Effective Marketing Strategies. In this interview, he tells us a little bit more about his experience and top tips that he's put into the book and also gives us a sneak peek into some of the exciting projects he's working on. Here's that interview. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I've had a career of about 30 years. Um, The first decade, really, was uh, as a market research analyst. Uh, And then the next decade was a kind of continuation of that, really, which is a brand and communications consultant. So that was my specialist area. And then in the final decade, um, I became a chief marketing officer. So I've had a, a fairly broad range of experiences within the marketing area. Um, I guess the other thing to mention is I was heavily involved in the development of several uh, sort of market measurement tools, such as uh, the Link copy testing system and uh, Brand Z. Have you, have you heard of Brand Z at all? I don't think I have. What is it? It's essentially um, a brand equity measurement system uh, that's been extended so that it can quantify the um, share, almost like the contribution to a company's share price that comes from its brands. So it's a quantification of brand value uh, that's published in the FT each year. Oh, wow. So you recently released a book, the Smart Marketing book, the Definitive Guide to Effective Marketing Strategies. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah, of course. Um, well, in a way, this is the culmination of about 25 years worth of effort and thinking. I know that sounds a bit over the top, but it's true because, I mean, right through my career, I always um, I made notes, copious notes, um, and also scribbles, diagrams, frameworks, doodles, anything that would help me you know, remember uh, the important marketing concepts. And then I started using those to um, help explain them, you know, when I moved into sort of more senior role and I started to do training sessions and uh, et cetera for, for new people into the businesses. Um, and that, I found that they responded very well to these diagrams and these ways of thinking, you know, these particular ways of thinking. So finally I had an opportunity um, a year and a half ago to um, to write it all down and draw it all up and turn it into a compact little book, which is what came out just the end of last year. And who's the book kind of aimed towards? Weirdly enough, it's, it, it seems to appeal to the two ends of the marketing spectrum, right? You've got, on the one hand, people who are new to marketing. You know, it's meant to be an extremely accessible, clear, succinct summary of all aspects of, of marketing, essentially. Um, so, for example, uh, people studying marketing at university uh, or people who've uh, moved into marketing career fairly recently um, or even someone who's who's new to marketing because, I don't know, like an entrepreneur who suddenly realizes they need to market the, their invention or, uh, you know, or some senior who's been given the, you know, the remit to oversee marketing and hasn't really been in that area much before, you know, been more of a generalist before. Mm-hmm. Those kind of people. But then, but then, so that's kind of, that was what I had in mind originally. But then I've also had feedback from people who are so good at marketing, they teach it. So what they've been focusing on is, is the diagrams, you know, the actual frameworks, the, the ways of explaining things. Because obviously, just like, I guess, like I did, they find it useful. So I've um, been invited to speak at, um, you know, to, to, um, to sets of students studying marketing. And I really look forward to that. I mean, I, I love doing that kind of thing. And that's exactly what my, my little my diagrams are kind of lend themselves to. So I'd love to pick your brain on a little bit of your experience. 
and of kind of talk about what was going on today. And um, obviously, mm. we're in a very particular situation um, in 2020 and now into 2021, unfortunately. How have you seen organisations pivot their marketing for success in the current COVID-19 climate? We've seen the whole spectrum, haven't we? We've seen some very good practice and we've seen some very bad practice. Um, I could start with the negative, human nature. I mean, I, th- I think the kind of, you know, the long-winded and um, quite dull messages from CEOs of companies that you barely have a connection with, you know, explaining uh, how, how that they won't let us down during the crisis is, I don't think, particularly relevant or useful. Um, but I, I quite I, suppose I like it where companies have adapted, you know, then they've come up with new ideas for advertising, for example, um, that, that reflect where we are now, or, you know, it, just helping the calls a little bit. Like, uh, I love the McDonald's um, logo being the, you know, the golden arches sort of social distancing themselves from each other in, in posters and, and, and physical form. I, I love those kind of things. Or um, there's a lovely Burger King ad I saw, which is um, essentially saying your country needs you to sit on the couch and order a takeaway is your duty. And I think these lovely phrase, which was, I can't, I can, I can't say it probably, but it's um, couch potatriot. I got it right. Yeah. Couch potatriot. I thought it was lovely. So, I, you know, a bit of humor, something that is helpful and relevant to what's going on now, kind of, you know, but not doesn't take yourself too seriously because there's enough seriousness in the news at the moment. I think brands can help by making things a little bit, feel a bit more normal uh, as well. And kind of coming on to that, what do you mm. think are the, some of the most common mistakes that companies uh, make when they come to marketing? Well, there's, I mean, there's, uh, there's some general things, but there's also some specific things related to, you know, economic times when economic times are hard. I mean, obviously, if you're a company that has been absolutely hit in a sector that's been completely decimated by coronavirus, and that's one thing, but... But companies that haven't should really be, for example, be spending, continuing to spend on their normal uh, marketing activities and advertising. Uh, and rather than, you know, feeling that there's a good opportunity to cut spend. In fact, companies that usually spend on advertising and then stop their spend for a while really do lose out financially. They really, really do. There's a, such clear proof that if you take like a six months off or even longer, it, it'll, it'll cost you a lot to get back what you lost. Uh, from that gap in uh, gap in activity, so that's something that can go wrong. Mm. Why would companies take off six months from their marketing spend? Is it just like kind of seen as an easy thing to cut? Well, I think it's short term, long term. Yes, it is an easy thing to cut. It's just I, I always think that marketing spend and especially non technical training, training and marketing are both discretionary. Really, you know, you, you cut the training spend, you cut the marketing spend right now, and you, you know the, the amount you save from advertising might actually mean you you do well profit wise for short term for short term it's that longer term effect especially from from brand building advertising that uh, it's, it's a temptation and it depends really how long you think you know you're going to be in a marketing role if you're only going to be there a year or two then it, it can look good temporarily if you cut some spend but in the long term the profits almost always are eroded from that kind of mentality uh, and I think that's why it's good that some companies build sort of other measures, not just immediate sales return, you know, sales figures, but sort of longer term uh, brand equity type measures that are also important and need to be, uh, um, you know, evaluated in terms of uh, marketing team's performance. I think that's really good practice personally. What kind of things would you suggest organisations do to define their brand, which was maybe different mm. than like the outright marketing you were just talking about? Oh, you, yeah. Do you mean more like kind of how you how you think about your brand and how you how you um, define it 
into its positioning and its imagery and its purpose. I mean, things like that. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, purpose is an interesting topic, actually, because... I'm a big, actually, I'm a big fan in the value of having a clear purpose. But for me, that's like saying the value of having a clear strategy. I, I kind of, I connect those two very strongly. I d- and I don't mean, um, you know, a purpose as in some hugely ethical or worthy cause necessarily. It can be, but I don't necessarily mean that. I just mean, you know, understanding w- what it is about your brand that you want, how you want it to enrich people's lives, the people who buy it, even in a small way. Um the example I give is like, you know, if, if you were, say, you own a, a disinfectant brand, quite very topical at the moment, you, you, you could think of your brand as being a clean, you know, you make cleaning products that kill germs. Okay, that's that's true. Um, and you can succeed very well by, by selling products to do that and communicating that fact, if you like. And that's actually how a lot of these brands over the previous years uh, used to be very successful. But if you just make a small tweak to that and think about it as a purpose, then you can you can define it as you know we help um, homemakers prevent their family catching diseases you know through our cleaning products. It, it's a subtle difference, but you can see how thinking about your brand in those terms and defining it in those terms suddenly unlocks imagination. You know, it, it helps the uh, you and your creative agencies to come up with much more powerful advertising ideas that will strike an emotional chord, you know, with your, with your consumers. And also it's more motivating for the team. So these kind of indirect effects, if you like, from having a clear understanding of what you want your brand to do in the world, um, I think is, is the important bit. That's the crucial bit. Um, and that, that I think is fundamental for, for, any, for any brand. Definitely. Um, so we're kind of talking about spending and budgets. And in a recent article for CEO World magazine, you wrote that marketing with marketing budgets, it's often hard to estimate the financial gain precisely or even provide any guarantee of a good return. If that's the case, then how can any marketer in an organization kind of build a business case for having any marketing budget when it's there's no guarantee that there's going to be a positive return? Yeah, I think it's, this is a big problem because, it, you know, marketing is sometimes seen as a sort of art rather than a science. And we do know that, you know, the creativity of, of your marketing thinking and your execution does play a big role, actually, in how effective it is. And that is a bit scary. But it's even more scary for the CFO, you know, that the financial leader of a company has to make the investment decisions. And they're, actually, they're quite comfortable with approving budgets if they understand the assumptions and have a credible line of argument as to the kind of return that might happen. So I think, I think the marketing people need to learn the language of how to put together a business case. You know, that should be a fundamental part of the training. Um, and I, I, think it's not, I don't think it's as hard as people might think it might be. I mean, it's a basically, I think, a, a kind of a, a three-step thing, really. I mean, first of all, you need to have some sort of credible estimate for the kind of return you might get, you know, the range, you know, of what normally happens, even though there's no guarantee, that's okay. But what's a credible range? And that's where you need benchmarks or experts or historic precedent to give you some sort of fix on that. Already that puts you in a good position, you know, when you're talking to the the financial guys. Um, And then the next step is say, okay, so um, let us set an action standard. So we won't go ahead with the investment until um, we've tested whatever it is we're doing. And we know that it is, say, above average or at least as good as average, because then we can be fairly confident that our return will be in the upper half of the range. And so the financial guys can can, um, estimate whether that's worth it or not. And then, of course, finally, you've got the in-market measurement. So measuring its effect, you have to have an idea of how will you know that it has produced a good response. 
you know, what's the line of sight through to the the ultimate sales factor, ultimately usually. Um, and that's where measurement is uh, is crucial. And also to have, um, good, I learned this once, um, that in a business case, you need a mitigation section. So what we do if things don't go to plan or don't go as well as, pl- as to plan. And again, same with marketing. You know, if the feedback is that it's not working well, well, when will you review that? Um, and what will you do if it's not delivering the kind of, you know, impact that we'd hoped, you know, at what point? And again, all of those things give reassurance to to the people making decisions, I think, in the business. You spoke about a disconnect between like maybe marketers and finance department. Do you think that this is a common problem in organisations or is I've maybe picked up on that wrong? I think it is. I mean, my experience, I mean, it it varies hugely. Uh, And you can have some highly analytical marketeers who who enjoy this this kind of um, dialogue with the finance teams and that that relationship is really strong. But I think think on balance, your average marketeer is sort of a bit more on the creative side of things and less on the analytical side of things. I don't think that's still true, but that's been my my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the financial um, people for, for financial responsibilities tend to be very much on the you know, very, very more on the analytical side, and therefore this is a bit of a, a clash of priorities. You know, a marketer wants to get on and do great, fantastic work, and and, and is pretty confident, you know, that, that this will drive the business. Um, but that's not the way the way financial guys tick. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a fair conclusion that there is a bit of either tension or just a lack of um, partnership sometimes because of that. Do you think that marketing is kind of like an innovating thing, like something that's still moving and progressing? Like, what do you think are the kind of future trends of marketing? I think um, there are some things in marketing that's, that, that, that don't change much, actually. I think the fundamental principles, some of the underlying principles, um, like, you know, to be effective, you need to come up with a goods or service that consumers want and find attractive you know i mean it's, that's not going to change I, I think the bits that's changing rapidly is on the execution side of marketing mm-hmm. uh, in particular i think in the area of media i mean you think about all the the way media has evolved in 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 last two years let alone five or ten years and it's uh, it's completely different it's utterly transformed and it's not just that new media or new forms of existing media seem to emerge all the time. And then some media that were big for a while are now disappeared, you know. And I think learning how to use these media in a good way, in an effective way, is incredibly hard to keep on top of. You know, I think that's what, if I was a market, yeah, it's still in a, in a, uh, a full-time marketing role, I would be focusing on how do I keep abreast of all the latest media, how it works and best practices. That's crucial, absolutely crucial. Because you know, at the moment, I mean, still a lot of Facebook in feed advertising is is using you know long form video when the average exposure is less than a second. You know, as people scroll through their feed, and it's like you know, you either so you have to think differently. You have to grab attention in a second, more like a more like a poster ad, for example, at the beginning. You know, at the start. So it's almost like a poster ad that then advertises the video ad afterwards. And I, I'm not sure that everyone's caught up on on some of those ways of thinking. I completely agree. I feel like there's just always like a new app or big thing that's coming up. And how, mm. looking back on your experience, how do you think that um, marketers and media managers can kind of guess or look forward to what are going to be the ones that stay and which ones are just going to be a quick trend and it's not really worth investing in? Like <laughs> nobody kind of realised TikTok was going to be around for such a big time, but now it's a huge marketing to all the so many companies. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of ways. I mean, I've come across um, a, a quite a popular 70-20-10 rule, rule of mm-hmm. thumb, 
And the way that works is that it's, it's good practice, especially if you've got big brands. And I think this works particularly well for big brands with bigger budgets. But whether you spend 70% of your money on tried and trusted media that are already big and have been you know, big for a while. Yeah, you're classic, whatever that is. Uh, at any point in time, of course, that does evolve. But then you've got 20% kind of pushing the boundaries around those media, being quite inventive or trying to use those, those established media in innovative ways. You know, I don't know if you have you seen these new forms of Facebook um, advertising where things appear to jump out the screen. It's the current fa- fashion. I imagine, yeah. yeah, it will come, you know, that will that'll be fun for a while and it might get boring. I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see, probably. Um, but that would be your 20%. And that can work well because, you know, if you're one of the first to use it and people love it, you can get a lot of extra mileage from that, a lot of free free, uh, free media, you know, as people share it around with each other, et cetera, et cetera. And then 10% is experimenting. So that would have been experimenting with TikTok a little while ago. I'm not sure how long TikTok's been around, but, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe it was still quite new. Yeah. Um, you'd experiment just just more just, just to sort of keep it, you know, just 10% of your budget just so you stay on top of what's going on in case it becomes big and then you'll be ahead of your competitors and, and you can exploit it if it does. So I quite, I quite like that as a kind of a way of thinking about media. But to be honest, you, you just follow the eyeballs, you know, and, and what, if you've got a campaign coming up next month, um, you choose the best channels right now for reaching your target uh, in the right way. So so don't worry too much. You don't have to worry too much. You just have to keep keep an eye on what's uh, what's currently big. So my last question, I was reading another one of your articles, I can't remember where it was, but you were talking about how there's so much more than just visuals when it comes to marketing and um, organisations should use other senses to kind of build their brand. And I was wondering Mm. if you could tell me a little bit more about that because I found that really interesting. Yeah, I think I think this is especially relevant when it, when we're talking about the brand, you know, the brand experience, you know, what people experience around, around especially in the service area, for example. Um, I'm thinking like what you experience in a hotel, uh, in a car showroom, but it, it can equally it can also apply to um, you know the smell that you you get when you open up a, a packet of peanuts. You know, you can use more than just the visual sense. There are all those senses you can use. Um, I think a good way to think about that is. Is again, I always like my little checklist. <laughs> I mean, the first thing is you understand the moments that are important to consumers. You know, what, what are the moments that have the biggest impact on their perception of brand? You know, and that, that's actually relatively easy to do. I mean, qualitative market research or some basic quantitative market research can also help just identify, you know, what people think is important. Um, you know, people use the phrase identifying the pain points, especially, you know, the areas that are important, but... Um, the brand isn't really delivering that well on. So that's kind of your, your first point. And then um, there's a there's a framework in, in the book, um, which is just a little checklist of ways in which you can think about improving uh, the experience. I'm just trying to remember what, what I called it. Yeah, oh, yes. It was the four aspects of brand encounters. Okay. So if you think about any ex- moment where a, cons- a customer or a consumer is experiencing the brand itself, I think you've got like four key components that you could think about improving. So the first one is, is there a human interaction? And is that interaction a bit soulless or is it really quite rewarding? You know, uh, is it friendly? Uh, is the person courteous? So has it got that person to person side of things? That's number one. The second one, is it, is it um, easy as in mentally easy? How much mental effort do people have to uh, exert to 
to experience whatever it is that they're experiencing. You know, is it easy and clear what to do? Uh, for example, on a website, you know, is it really easy uh, to know where to go to get the information or, or the prices that you want, etc.? Um, so that kind of uh, frictionless is the phrase that's often used there, I think. And then the, the third one is like the physical experience. So in other words, and that's where you can use any every every sense. You know, is it a comfortable place to be? Um, is it does it smell nice? Does it is it clean? So you can you sort of imagine, and this uh, this is good practice as well. Is for obviously for managers, marketing managers, to spend time in their retail environments or, or, or whatever if they have them, and just to brainstorm. How can we make this better? Which senses could we could we appeal to? Um, and then the final is the aesthetic appeal. That's more about you know style and design. It's a compelling, inspiring environment that that, you, that your brand is operating in. And all of these things I think are quite useful. And then it's more just uh, thinking. Well, you know, having some creativity as a team. How can we make this better? Um, and yeah, we know that you know strong brand experience is is ultimately what gets people to return and uh, spend more. Absolutely. So I just got one last question. Now that you've published your um, notes and your diagrams and your scribbles that you've taken over the years, are you still taking notes and scribbles? Is there something else that might come out in the future? Yeah, uh, I I can't help it. It's just the way I I am and I work. So whenever, in fact, I've I've been releasing on LinkedIn a whole wave of diagrams recently. Um, Originally, they all came from the book, but more recently, I've been creating new ones or extensions or more elaborate things that didn't really fit. I mean, the book is very compact. You know, it's only, it's 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 uh, like an A5. Is that the right size? If that. Um, and it's only 20,000 words. So it's a very kind of quick and easy thing, but it doesn't go into as much depth. So I've been trying to use my uh, my graphical skills to, to try and, you know, capture some even more sophisticated concepts. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. But also I've got another another book coming out in September that's a bit broader than marketing. It's basically all the other diagrams I did that were related to <laughs> kind of other aspects of business um, beyond marketing. So watch this space for that um, hopefully later in this year. That's very exciting. Some very exciting lockdown projects for you then. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much to Dan for being on the podcast today. If you'd like more about leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen up for the next Ambition podcast released every Wednesday.